I'm Erin Polly, a community organizer, yoga teacher, and healer who is obsessed with sharing tools with people so they can heal themselves and the world. Self-Care Level 1000 is about the many ways we nurture ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually so that we show up more fully in the world and do the good work that needs to be done. We will get curious together about how we can practice self-care in multiple ways with many modalities, leveling up the love we show ourselves every day. Latrell is a singer-songwriter, is a recording artist, scholar, writing a dissertation with social movement leaders about bridging the tension between self-sacrifice and well-being in movement work, a parent seeking to balance the holding on and releasing necessary for the nurturance of a strong-willed adolescent, and really just a person on a beautiful, messy, risky journey seeking to experience and contribute to healing, love, and liberation. Thank you for coming back onto the podcast. My pleasure. I love being here with you. You were the first person that I ever interviewed for this podcast. And it was so beautiful and easy to talk to you that you gave me the confidence to move forward. And I'm just so grateful for your friendship and your encouragement. You're truly one of the greatest cheerleaders I've ever known. Thank you. Mm, I love you so much. And I'm so honored to be a part of this part of your journey, what you're doing is so important. I'm such a big fan. Thank you. So I have you on today because you and I met each other doing Palestine solidarity work. I think it was like eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And we were both organizers, activists, moms, teachers, sometimes partners. (laughs) And we each wear many other hats that make up who we are. And you know, in the course of the time that I've known you and you've known me, our roles have shifted. We put more energy into one over the other, but we both have had to learn and practice a tremendous amount of self-care to pull off the many things that we want to do in the world. Would you say that's true? Oh, yeah. I mean, not always successfully, but that's part of the learning. (laughs) Yeah. And right now we are fully in our roles as organizers, as our beloved Palestine is getting bombarded by Israel since October 7th, 2023. Today it is November 4th. And to date, over 9,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza and 1,400 Israelis in Israel have died. Can you just ground us in what is happening in Gaza right now? How did this begin? Mm. (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) Yeah, it's a deep history, but you know, Mm. you and I both like live and die on the comment that it is not that complicated. So can you just, yeah, just give us like, you know, how, how did we get to this point that Gaza is just being completely bombarded right now? This is another devastating, tragic manifestation of colonialism, plain and simple. Um, You know, coming from Europe and, of course, the United States now participating actively, passionately as well. Um, And so, you know, in the in the devastating aftermath of the Holocaust, um, Europe got together and they were like, well, you know, what we'll do instead of 
make things better here and safe for you here where you live. Um, we're going to create a land for you and we'll, we'll give you land, right? As if it's Europe's to give, as if they can do that. And so, you know, there were, you know, and this is, I'm just being as like plain spoken as I can. So this is, you know, fact check me, but I'm right. Um, <laughs> you know, they they considered all parts of the world that they had colonized and claimed as their own is what is the place that we will give to survivors of this European atrocity. Um, and, you know, I know Uganda was considered, um, I forget which country it was in South America that was considered. They landed on Palestine. And the um, the slogan, the Zionist slogan um, is, uh, what I'm going to botch it actually, I'm terrible at quotes. It's the, it's a land for oh, people. What <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say? You say it for me. What is it? It's like, I don't know. It, I don't it, know how to phrase it exactly. Okay. I, I, I'm the worst at quotes because I approximate everything because my brain just kind of takes it and runs it through my own filter. But essentially, the, the tagline was, it's a land for a people without land mm. on a land without people, which of course was not true. It was not and is not a land without people. Same for Turtle Island where we live, right? And so this erasure of Palestinians um, was built into the fabric of the nation state of Israel, um, into the design of the nation state of Israel, which was birthed through ethnic cleansing and violence and has been maintained through ethnic cleansing, apartheid, settler colonial violence extreme oppression. Um, it's not new. And Palestinians have been resisting it for over 75 years. They've been telling us their experience for over 75 years. You and I have both been there and seen it for ourselves. Not that we need to have been because <laughs> Palestinians deserve to be believed. And of course, now with social media, um, we can see for ourselves as well without being there. It's not complicated. Human to human relationships are complicated, right? Like how you and I navigate our friendship with all of our messy complexities and traumas and needs that can get complicated. Any interpersonal relationship can be complicated, but power dynamics at a systemic level are not complicated. And so this is an oppressor and the oppressed. And just like here in the United States, I am a descendant of settlers and I participate in all the ways that I'm positioned in active settler colonialism. Um, I don't want to. I want to be a part of undoing settler colonialism and colonialism here where I am um, and all of that and all of that messy complexity and and there. And actually, it was when I was in Palestine that I saw so clearly my role here and committed to coming home and trying to wade into those waters as confusing as they are to know what to do about it in this context. It's not confusing on a macro level, on a systemic level, on the level of military, on the level of dollars, on the level of the way education is structured and um, the courts are structured. Like that's, that's not complicated. It's all meant to erase Palestinians 
whether through forcing them out and taking more land, which is constantly happening, or whether through killing them, which is, of course, actively happening right now as we're talking um, and making life as miserable and hard for them as possible um, and making them as invisible as possible. Um and you and I've both seen that the, you know, the separate roads, the separate, the walls that, that hide them. And, um, and so, you know, the fact that people think it's complicated though, I do want to address this. It's because that's what we've been told. We've just been told like, Hey, it's complicated. You don't need to worry about it. Just wash your hands. It's complicated. Shrug. So sad. So complicated. I don't know what to do, but that is, that is part of what, um, is intentional power always wants us to think that power always wants us to kind of feel like oh i'm not i'm not capable of understanding this i'm not capable of showing up to this moment and it's just never true yeah there's a very strong narrative in favor of israel and i think like you know you and i have both been to the west bank and jerusalem i've been to gaza a couple of times and it's very, very plain to see that there is an oppressed and an oppressor, right? People in the West Bank are living under an apartheid state, surrounded by walls and checkpoints every single day. And, you know, that's something we're not really learning a lot about right now, about what is happening in the West Bank to Palestinians there. There have been a high number of arrests and checkpoints have been shut down. People can't see their families go to work in Jerusalem, which is, you know, half Palestinian, half Israel land, it's even worse there. And I just, I, what I'm like seeing so much of right now in the media and I think in the discourse is just this constant dehumanization of Palestinians. And you and I both know that there is vibrant life there and there is a vibrant, uh, culture of resistance and resilience and that is an inspiration you know to other movements all over the world right you study this so you know you know that that this um strong culture of resistance has been an inspiration to so many other movements over the past 70 plus years yes yes i mean palestinians um have been devoted to and building and practicing their own freedom and they're continuing to do that in this moment and um you know i when i went i was there as a part of a, a really diverse delegation of of folks who are all based here on turtle island um i was one of the few white culturally christian people there were some jewish folks and muslim folks and palestinians and black folks and muslims and you know it was it was beautiful it was such a such a i love those people so much um but you know we 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 traveled all over and we got to sit at the feet of a lot of people you know um that you're seeing being interviewed right now on the news and that are you know like uh, we got to sit in front of a lot of people in a lot of sectors throughout Palestine. And the, while I, you know, I know a lot, um, really 
all of that education. And I know everybody wants to learn because you don't want to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. Um, you're never going to know everything. And we can't wait to act until we know everything. I just want to throw that in there. But even with all the things I was exposed to and all the learning, all of the ways that this is baked into the education system, that this is, you know, impacts um Arab Jews differently um, in the way that it impacts, you know, like Christians in in Bethlehem, for example, like, you know, all the different all the different contexts, the ask from me as a white, culturally Christian U.S. citizen was not tell me how we should get free. <laughs> tell me what we should do. Tell me what how to resist. We don't know what to do. That was not it. They're doing it. Um, it was go home and get your dollars out of the way. That's it. Go home and handle your business. You are funding this both through your tax dollars and through your corporations and your purchases and your institutions. So, you know, both through, um, you know, getting U.S. dollars out of, out of, uh, the state of Israel. Um, which of course we're sending billions more right now than we already do. Um, but also through BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And, um, you know, that is a nonviolent, uh, direct action civil resistance strategy that has been effective in bringing down apartheid South Africa. And it is the call from civil, from Palestinian civil society. And there are people engaged in this work all over the world. One of the things I learned from Omar Barghouti, who is uh, the chair of BDS, is that Israel has BDS, or at least did when I was there in 2018. I can't you know, speak to this current moment. But they had classified BDS as one of their top two national threats and dedicate billions of dollars to fighting it. And so, you know, I don't make it my business to talk about violent resistance. It's not my, you know, it's, I don't make that my business. But what I can say is that BDS is a nonviolent tactic that's been criminalized. <laughs> and, you know, those of us who've been working for that have been punished, um, have lost jobs, have uh, been doxxed. And so, you know, uh, Palestinians, when I, when I was there, um, I had just gotten a, um, a fellowship from the International Center on Nonviolent Conflict. And so I was studying, you know, like Sharp's 198 Methods of Civil Resistance and those kinds of things. And, you know, I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump in that, like, I don't know how I keep ending up in these situations, but like, here I am. Um, you know, we ended up in, I had to Mimi's backyard two days after she was released from prison, sitting with her and her father and mother and brother and listening to their stories along with a bunch of diplomats from around the world. And um, her dad was saying something about, you know, we've discovered hundreds of additional methods above Gene Sharp's 198. And I went up to him and I was like, I'm studying this, like, you know, tell me about it. And he like tussled my hair and he said, wait for the book. <laughs> um, you know, and so all of that to say, Palestinians know what they're doing um, and don't need me to approve or disapprove of their own strategies to free themselves from oppression. What I have been told to do and I'm working on doing is 
stopping my own participation in the violence. And I am participating in the violence because, at least in theory, you know, the United States government is my employee. <laughs> they are my employee, at least in theory, right? You know, we understand our own complexities here with our own democracy, but um, we do have power collectively there and certainly as well with our purchases and our institutions and where our investments are going. And, um, you know, it's not an even playing field on any imaginable level. Um, and our job is to to, to, to get ourselves um, to pull the harm, to reduce the harm, um, and to give Palestinians more room to be able to self-determine. Yeah, thank you for that breakdown. I think, you know, it, there are a lot of people who are just learning about this, and that's okay. You know, I think that, you know, now is a moment, you know, if you've watching what's happening and you are as appalled and disturbed and upset about more bombs being dropped on Gaza in less than 30 days than were dropped on Afghanistan and all of eight years of war, that is highly disturbing. And it is our, our tax dollars that are funding it. But I'm going to get to like the you know the movement building self care well being part of our conversation in just a minute but like right now what is like the main call today right now what can people in the united states do ceasefire 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 that means we're holding our elected officials accountable we're demanding that they call for ceasefire that they push for ceasefire um certainly you know the ones who won't vote them out of office um you know and so ceasefire is the call today it is the thing we have been said this is what you focus on today and so of course we see folks in oakland um you know trying to block a boat and they managed to delay it uh for eight or nine hours that was full of weapons from the united states to go to israel um and so ceasefire is you know i i have a friend in gaza and um you know i check in on him every few hours i don't know what to say um how are you is obviously not the right question um and so at this point it's just become like every every few hours i just send a like you're on my heart or checking in on you and i get a reply i'm still alive you know and it's like in every moment that passes there are more and more people who are not and um time is of the essence it's time for a ceasefire. It was time for a ceasefire a long time ago, but it's got to happen and um, it's urgent. We don't have time. Like you can keep learning. Like Aaron said, you know, it's, you can keep learning. There's a lot to learn. Um, it's worth learning, but you don't have to know everything to call for a ceasefire and to say, we should not be bombing children. That's right. And there are many different ways to do that. You can call the White House every Tuesday through Thursday, 11 to 3 p.m. Eastern. They take calls. Just Google White House phone number. You'll get it. You can put pressure on Biden 
Biden does have an incredible amount of influence on Israel and the Israeli military. You can also call Congress. You can ask your congressperson to support a bill, 786, in the House that is calling for a ceasefire, immediate ceasefire. You can go out in the street and hold a sign that says ceasefire. You can support other actions. There are so many ways that you can get involved in this um, very, very urgent call right now. I I want to like you know have, have to have to give people the action right, but like it is like we are in a moment right now too where community care is essential. And you and I are um, very involved in Palestine solidarity work in Indianapolis, where we live. And we have a very large Palestinian American community, many of which are young people in college and high school. And Right now, Palestinians are not just under attack in Gaza and the West Bank and Jerusalem, but really all over the world. There's a bill that was introduced that um, I haven't like fully read it and totally understand it, but essentially is saying that Palestinians in America could be expelled. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very dangerous to yes. be a Palestinian right now. And so yes. what does community care look like for Those of us who are not on the front lines, like people in Gaza are, but we are here in our communities. We know people. We're, you know, taking our small actions every day. But like, how can we care for the people who are closer to the front lines than us? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. And, you know, um, Aaron and I have been on de-escalation and security teams for the protests that we've been having in Indianapolis. And um, in the last podcast interview that I gave here, I talked about my question of of what does it look and feel like for me to be fully, deeply, generatively, wholly, powerfully, creatively, and perfectly, and I've now added richly, me fully, deeply, generatively, wholly, powerfully, creatively, and perfectly, richly alive, fully, deeply, generatively, wholly, powerfully, uh, all the words, engaged in the world right where I am with others who are doing the same today. And, you know, I don't know that running security is the um, the pinnacle of like the gifts that I have to offer the world, Right. Um, you know, I'm re- releasing a song um, on Monday, actually, um, on the 6th on Patreon and then on the 17th everywhere that is about this and is important. And all the proceeds are going to be going to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. Um, that is, you know, like that's definitely like a here, here are all the dots connecting for me. Here's a moment of potency where I get to really fully bring myself to the table. But and. It is so important. There are times when we don't get to say, well, you know, I'm a songwriter. And so I'm just going to stay home and write songs. Uh, it's like, what is needed and what is the role that is needed right now? And can I do that? And am I willing to do that? And so, you know, one of the ways that I've been coping and contributing, and I think it is both and I am both coping this way and contributing this way, is trying to keep Palestinians safe here because I cannot, I'm doing everything I can to stop the violence 
in Gaza, but I cannot personally protect my friend or all the precious babies there. But what I can do is (laughs) work really hard to spot any potential threat, any potential risk, you know, like all of my anxiety and trauma is put to great use. Um, <laughs> just, you know, like hypervigilance, just like, you know, being on comms, making sure that we're paying attention to every risk so that Palestinians here and other Muslim folks and Arab folks and all the folks who care can both grieve together, pray together struggle together and protest and use their voices and demand to be heard and being able to work to create a safe space, a safe enough, a safer space for them to be able to do that is part of what that care looks like right now. Thank you for it too. You're doing an amazing job organizing people and being at every demonstration, which there are like a couple a week as there should be. And um, yes, thank you for saying that, that, you know, there are so many different ways that you can, you can be a part of movement building, right? There are so many different roles and you and I, as white women, we have an incredible amount of privilege that we carry with us in this work. And this is, you know, one way that we can serve as a buffer and, do our best to, yeah, allow the space for people to do all of those things that you described. And it's, it's so essential. I want to switch a little bit and like have you put on your scholarly hat here and talk about your research, which I, you know, I know informs so much of who you are and how you operate in the world, but your, your research is really around the tension between self-sacrifice and well-being in movement building. And I know you've been interviewing, you know, several different activists over the course of of years, right? For a while now, you've been doing this research. Um, so can you tell us what that looks like? What what's emerging as you're discovering what that that tension between self-sacrifice and well-being looks like? Yeah, I I wish I had good answers for you. What I can tell you is that so I I I came to this work because I've I'm always seeking integration. How do I integrate all the parts of myself? If I have access to this skill or this knowledge or this community, how do they all work together? And so um coming from an academic background in social work, um and coming from a long history of being engaged in activism in lots of different contexts, I didn't see, at least in the institutionalized spaces, a, a connection. Um, even though there should have been a connection, to me there was an obvious connection, but I wasn't seeing that. And so, you know, I'd go into activist spaces, and you know, I'd mention that I was in, in you know, social work education, and people wouldn't know what that had to do with what we were doing. And then I'd go into social work spaces and I'd hear people say things like, oh, I want to be a voice for the voiceless and we can go start a movement. And it's like, people have voices, they're using them, they're losing their voices from shouting and no one listening. There are movements and social workers have skills for well-being, both at the individual level, at the relational level, at the community level, at the macro level with policy. Like there's such a wide range of air quotes, helping skills. 
And it's like, what if social workers actually used those skills to help the activists on the front lines who are transforming our world sustain themselves in the work? And so that's kind of, you know, it was birthed from this, I'm in deep relationship. I am an activist and I'm in deep relationship with people who are way deeper into activism and throughout the world and in their lives than I I have ever been. And I love them and I care for them. And I'm frustrated because I want them to be cared for. It's kind of like where this came from, right? And so I I've been having these conversations forever because I care about it. And at some point in my PhD process, which of course I'm still in dissertation mode, um, but in that process, at some point I realized like, this is my offering. This is part of the answer of what it looks like for me to show up um, with what I have to give and it's my relationships. And so I've just been having these conversations that I've always had with beloveds um, more formally so that we can share what we wrestle with so that it can become better understood the range of complexities that activists and people engaged in movement work and struggle work experience in their lives. And, and, you know, and, and we know that, you know, movements have incredibly high burnout, trauma and turnover. Um, and, you know, and there's lots of reasons for that oppression, of course, <laughs> is at the root of all of this. Um, but it's, you know, wondering how do we in this far from ideal reality we're in, um, how do we do the best we can do, which is all we can do, right? <laughs> We're not going to take away the struggle. We're not going to take away the trauma. We're not, that's until, until we undo oppression, it's going to be there. Um, but, you know, as someone who I've, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a clinician, um, but I've worked with a lot of them. I've taught a lot of them, you know, a fear that I have is that a lot of people, have a very kind of micro level understanding of self-care. And so it's like, you know, I can imagine a therapist saying to an activist, oh, this is too much for you. Why don't you just stop? <laughs> um, but, you know, without the larger understanding of these systems of oppression aren't going to stop harming this person. <laughs> We're just going to keep up ending up sicker and more harmed and losing more and more people, we have to resist, not resisting and just accepting the violence of oppression more kind of passively is not the answer, but, and the toll it does take for people who are resisting is immense. And so something that I, I think a lot about is, you know, what does it look like for us to show up for ourselves and each other? And I don't think that there's an answer. I think it depends on the moment, depends on the context and, you know, I know you and I talked about this before. I, it feels preposterous to suggest such a thing as self care for someone in Gaza right now, right? Like that's what, you know, survival, period, survival, just survive. Um, and so for me in Indianapolis and in Los Angeles, going back and forth between the two, you know, to remind myself that I need to drink water and, oh, I should follow through on that, you know, uh, Pilates appointment, even though I'm having a panic attack right now, I'll feel better if I go like those things are such luxuries. And I feel gross having access to things that others don't right now. Um, and always. And if I get sick, and I fall apart, 
then I'm not useful in holding up the person in front of me who's holding up the person in front of them who's holding up the person in front of him. And so I think I think it's just, you know, and I, I haven't written up my dissertation yet. And I don't I don't know how I'm going to pull it all together and make sense of it because the people that I love and know and talk with and that are a part of this are not okay. They're not okay. Um and I think that's just kind of gen- generally true of people who've been involved in movement work for any length of time. And I think being able to talk about it is important and normalizing that and being able to localize that as another manifestation of oppression, but also like those of us who are lines back, what does it look like then to help carry some of that load? Um, understanding, you know, that it's too much, it's too much for a single person. It's too much for a single community. And so, you know, again, kind of back to this example of, of you and I just like <laughs> running around, you know, downtown, just trying to like, keep cars from running over people and, you know, deal with racists who walk by, you know, and like all those things. Um, that's just like a little, a little something I can carry and I can do that. And, you know, spending time on the phone with my friend in Gaza and just being a friend um, who he can say whatever he wants to say to like, that's, that emotional presence uh, when I can't do anything else, you know, like I don't think that there there are answers, um, but I think there are a million answers. Well, if you've been following along on this podcast, you know, by now that this is the entire thesis of my podcast, what you're describing right now is this importance of having healthy, physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy people in the world who are doing the good work that needs to be done and changing the world in whatever capacity that is, big or small. And there are moments that you may have to tap in and tap out and like you it's super essential to have accountability in this work you know it's me you and a couple other people who are checking on each other all the time you know uh taking a load off where we can or you know reminding each other to get some sleep to turn off the you know notifications whatever it might be because it is like you know it, it is um as my my wonderful first boss at the American Friends Service Committee, Michael McConnell, said it is a marathon, mm-hmm. not a sprint. And even though right now we are, Gaza is under a siege, you know, daily there, it's, it's daily, hundreds of people are dying. And, you know, there is such a sense of urgency in this moment. And it is so essential for us to just show up every day, Mm -hmm. right? And just do whatever needs to be done in this moment. But when this bombardment ends, then there is going to be rebuilding, right? There's going to be trauma that needs to be addressed. You know, there's going to be lawfare against Palestinians in the United States. And so the work is not going to be over. Right. This ends. And so for people like us, it is essential that we do those self-care practices so that we're just able to be present and stay in the work. And that is just sort of the calling in that I really want to bring into this episode and why I wanted to have you here is to 
call people into this work and understand that there are so many different levels of care that we can offer to our community, to the greater world. And, you know, even like, you know, like I'm a Reiki practitioner and I'm like, can I just like give Reiki to some Palestinians I know right now, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. Can I like, should I like organize a yoga class for, you know, the activists in my community, right? Like there's just so many different things we can offer to care and sustain this work because it's ongoing. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, for me as a songwriter, you know, like one of my ways of showing up has been writing and sharing music and including with my friend in Gaza, who's been playing it while his children fall asleep, you know? And it's like that, like what it is the both end of the all hands on deck, just do the unglamorous, like hard stuff that just needs to be done. And we do each bring specific gifts, talents, resources to the table too that are needed. And, you know, your examples of Reiki and yoga are really beautiful examples of that. And you've always, you've always shown up that way. And that's always inspired me. Um, I do want to say, you know, I think that there are times that self-care is like we said with people in Gaza, for example, in this moment, there are times when, you know, it's just basic. It's just like, again, it's back to survival. Um, But I think it is a, if that's where you're at, if you're listening to this and you cannot even conceive of, nor is it safe for you to do a yoga class um, or, you know, to, you don't have, I guess if you're listening to this podcast at some point, you're, you know, you can, you can hear music, but um, you know, you have to save your cell phone battery or you don't have electricity or, you know, all telecommunications have been cut off. It is there. You are, you are the front lines and it is everybody else's job to jump in and help carry the load as much as possible. And I think that something I think, you know, has transformed my own analysis of oppression is to begin to understand my own um, you know, I, I understand my complicity and my privilege in a lot of these intersecting systems of oppression, but I also am a queer, non-binary, you know, female, uh, poor, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's like, you know, these systems of oppression, they hurt us all, um, you know, at least 99.9% of us. And I would argue, and I'm not alone in arguing that they hurt everybody because it is a dehumanizing thing to enact violence and oppression. Um, and so, you know, transnational feminisms and Chandra Mahanti's definition of solidarity has really transformed the way that I see this work as well. Um, and I'm going to botch this as well, because I'm just terrible at getting things exact, but essentially Mahanti defines solidarity as accountability, mutuality, and diversity among like the recognition of commonality among diverse groups who are choosing to struggle together. And so it's not, it's saying like what it looks like to undo oppression in my location and in my positionality is certainly different than what it looks like uh, in Gaza is certainly different than what it looks like in Cape town is different, you know, than what it looks like wherever else. And, and, you know, ultimately, if we look all the way up, <laughs> it's the same p- 
people. It's the same systems serving each other and using us all as fodder. And how do we undo it? And so recognizing that we are not doing things for others. We are doing things with others. And so I am not engaged in Palestine solidarity work because I'm just so compassionate and I'm just so like have such a big heart. You know, it's like, no, you like, I learned so much from my Palestinian friends and and strangers, you know, and and they are such an important part of contributing to liberation, as you were saying, such an example of resistance um, around the world. And it's like, okay, we're all building freedom. We're all undoing oppression. And what is my little part of that work look like today? And sometimes it just looks like survival. And sometimes I have more capacity than that. And, and, you know, with like Pilates as an example, you know, I've been making myself follow through on those in this last month, even though I, I, I feel kind of absurd. Um, but I, when I'm doing it, I'm like visualizing myself, like training, like this is training, like I'm running security, right? Like I'm like preparing my body to be strong and to be able to do what needs to be done because I'm needed. And, you know, it's kind of helped me, um, kind of zoom out a little bit. <laughs> I love that. That I'm so glad you said that because yeah, like I, I I need to look at some things in my life that way too. Cause right now it is tough. Right now is super, super tough. It's, you know, it's devastating every day. The news we're reading, you know, we're actively involved in organizing multiple actions and working with different groups and there's so many moving parts and yeah, like, uh, thank you for offering that up. That's super important. I think the sort of like last piece of this, you know, in engaging in any kind of solidarity work or movement building, I think that's super essential is you spoke to, you know, what you're fighting against, right? But I think it's like really having a very strong vision of what you are working for. Mm -hmm. And for me, I started my activism during the Iraq war. I was out on the streets protesting. I was super angry at my president, at the government, at the military. I didn't want this happening in my name. And I think it went like years for me of doing work every day. It was literally my full-time job to be an activist in the nonprofit I worked for. But it took me a couple of years to really, really see my vision of peace and justice writ large and what that would look and feel like. And it took me learning from, you know, people who came before me and had been in the work for decades. And it took me really, you know, being inspired by a vision that I would hear people talk about. And, you know, as I learned about history and other movements and, you know, these visionaries like Nelson Mandela having a vision of a free South Africa and all of the people who worked, you know, to achieve that. It's so essential to stay grounded in that vision. And that is motivation enough. So if you are an activist right now and you are feeling burnt out and you are exhausted, um, you know, I think my advice is to just sit and be quiet and 
really explore that vision of peace, that that vision of what justice is going to look and feel like for you and your community. Yeah, I mean, having liberatory vision has been um, something that's become just such a huge emphasis for me in recent years and i think i spent a long time like you like you said we 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 got we both got kind of super politicized and activated at the same time for the same reason in the same ways in different places in the country and um spent a lot of time you know being clear what i was against um and it took a lot longer particularly with my own positionality and socializations to have any liberatory vision for alternatives and that's come through being in community with lots of folks with black folks and brown folks and palestinians and queer folks and trans folks and you know like people who who've had to fight for alternatives their whole life and have been on the margins and can see things differently um and so you know one of the one of the most significant ways my imagination for what liberation could look and feel like has come through reading <laughs> like fiction i you know just devouring as much fiction particularly by black women and queer folks and Palestinian and queer folks and women and queer folks and like indigenous and, you know, Latin a, et cetera, like reading fiction. I recently read a book and, and, you know, of course, Octavia Butler, everybody should read all of it, all of Octavia Butler. And there's, you know, there's so, there's so much amazing reading out there. Um, I recently read a book um, that I don't even know how it got on my bookshelf, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful it was there and I ran out of other things to read. And so I pulled it off my shelf and I, I want to read it again and again. It's called The Fifth Sacred Thing by Starhawk. And oh my gosh, I don't even understand how this book both feels like a movement manual. It is so practical and so like experienced and right on and also like so inspiring and like the alternatives that are painted in this book in this in this series of books actually um like in their and they're placed firmly alongside like it's utopia dystopia and the kind of bumping up between the two and all i mean it's it's i anyone who's engaged in movement work needs to read the, these books. It's so good. I can't even handle it. But, um, you know, like everything from the sex scenes to the, the family dinner scenes to the battles and the strategy scenes. And like, I mean, it's just like, it's so, it's been so transformative for me. I think about it every day um, as I'm going about my life. And so I just would say that being around people who are positioned differently than than you are, um, particularly if you're, you know, white, I would say, especially or and or a, a man, a <laughs> cis man, um, you know, uh, or just someone who, you know, has not had a lot of experience outside of mainstream education in the United States. Um, but art, literature, art, um, community play. Um, like those are, those are the ways that we 
are exposed to alternatives and possibilities. Um, you know, and, and I know a lot of people really work hard to practice that in the here and now. It's not just that liberation is some far off ideal that we're moving toward, but it's how do we carve out moments where we are free, carve out moments where we are experiencing joy and pleasure, in which we own our, you know, we, we own our own complexity and we're in right relationship with ourselves. Like, how do we, how do we practice that and build toward that? at the same time in the midst of unbelievable dystopia. Um, but I, I think, you know, movement, movement spaces can be so messy and so chaotic because people are people and it's hard to be a person. And wherever we go, we complicate things and we have oppression and all the other kind of things happening at the same time. But also, wow, is there so much joy and like healing and like inspiration inside of movement work when you're a part of a collective all fighting for the same thing as well. Beautiful. Thank you. I know that you and I could talk about this for a very long time, but we (laughs) both have a lot of work to do. So, um, we have an action tomorrow and I want to know what you are doing for self care so that you can fully show up in the way that I know you want to show up tomorrow. Hmm. I went on a walk with a friend this morning who checked in on me. Um, This conversation with you going to hang out with my kid in a little while and um, hear my bandmate. Uh, perform tonight and so doing some of those things amidst all the other things that need to be done make myself go to sleep you know get some good rest um wake up and go to pilates in the morning before before our action so that you know so that i'm alert and i'm feel strong and feel grounded um you know as a part of a de-escalation team we have to be able to be pretty regulated um in pretty unregulating contexts you know like actual like we put ourselves in literal danger um and need to be calm while we're there because we're there to be calming <laughs> and so you know i i take that seriously and i know that um i can't show up exhausted and sick and um overwhelmed and you know fearful or else somebody might get hurt and i you know i'm trying to um yeah i'm a part of the collective like yes we all deserve to be well because we all deserve that and we're if we're working to help each other be well then um then we have to like keep ourselves going what are you doing Thank you for asking (laughs) my accountability buddy. We'll check on each other tomorrow. (laughs) I am planning to get good sleep tonight. I'm not going out tonight. I'm going to go to bed early and I plan to get on my mat tomorrow to eat some healthy food and be sure I'm hydrated when I get down to the action and just stay really present, just be really present. Um, definitely mm-hmm. practice my meditation and do some of my writing tomorrow so that I'm I'm really making sure I do all the things that I know I need to do to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's check on each other tomorrow before we show up. Make sure we're doing all those things. Great. Good. So you know that at the end of this podcast, I ask, how can we find you, follow you, show our love and appreciation for you? We know how to do that with you. I'll, I'll still share how to follow you, but can you share with us a few resources that would be really essential to be following right now to understand what is happening in Gaza? Mm, yes. Um, Adala, how do you spell that? A-D-A-L-A-H. Yes, Adala Justice. Yes, I would follow. If you're on social media, I would follow Adala. I would follow the IMEU. Of course, um, uh, Palestinian Youth Movement, um, SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, American Friends Service Committee. Um, gosh, there are so many. Um, uh, Mohammed El Kurd. Um, oh, um, my brain. I'm seeing her face right now. Nora, Erica. Mm. Um so many, so many amazing people. Um, what is the name of the journalist in Gaza? Bizan. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of important voices to be listening to right now and amplifying and resharing on social media is important. Um, it's certainly not the only thing to do, but it, it, it does count and it is, it is important. Um, there is a lot of money, a lot an unimaginable amount of money going in to um, trying to silence all of these voices. And so amplifying them, listening to them and amplifying them is, is a part of the work. Um, Beyond that, I would find out, you know, who's doing the work in your local community, who are the local chapters where you are, the Jewish Voice for Peace chapter, the Students for Justice in Palestine at the university near you or where you're at. Um, the Palestinian Youth Movement uh, chapter where you're at, get involved um, at a local level. Um, it can feel overwhelming and it can feel like it doesn't matter whether your voice is present or not, but I promise at the local level it does. We need each other so badly. And um, that is a, a really meaningful way to show up as well. Um, I'm releasing a song called Freedom. My band's name is Latrell, my last name, and we're releasing Freedom on the 17th. Um, I would love for you to listen to that. I think it's important. And all the proceeds for that are going to the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. Um, And I'm constantly resharing things. And so if you don't even know where to start, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at this is Latrell. I I can like compulsively like reshare, 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 reshare because there's so much. And so um I'm I, I do vet what I share and I, I don't share something that I'm not sure about. And so if I'm resharing it and it's a source that I would be confident telling you that you can trust. Thank you. Thanks for giving us all those great resources. And I encourage everyone to follow them. I encourage you to contact Congress, ask Mm -hmm. for your representatives to support the House bill and put pressure on your senators as well to introduce something into the Senate, a bill to call for a ceasefire, call the White House, email the White House, um, get in the streets. If you if this is not feeling good to you, then use your power, your privilege, your time, your resources to end this siege on Gaza now 
Mm-hmm. We don't have we don't have much more time to waste. Yeah. Thank you. Love you. I love you too. Self-Care Level 1000 is produced by me, Erin Polly. It is edited by my brother, Evan Polly, and the music you are listening to was created by John Lerner. If you loved this episode, please rate and review wherever you are listening. That would be so helpful. Thank you. If you'd like to support this podcast and receive bonus content, self-care practices, and more, please subscribe at Patreon. Follow the pod on Instagram at selfcarelevel1000. Send me a DM with any questions or comments. Until next time, drink lots of water, eat good food, get quality rest, and take care of you, friend.